She's a professor and life coach known around the world. Give it up for Dr. Erin Bryant. Thank you for tuning in to another show of Dr. Bryant Speaks. Today, we're going to have an amazing show. Those of you who are new to the show, I want to say welcome. Because this isn't going to be a show that's going to be, I can't say it's better than the previous shows, but we just keep it going from here. So welcome to the show. I hope you're downloading on all the podcast channels, iHeart, Spotify. I can go on and on. It seems like every week we're getting a new podcast channel that picks us up. So that's amazing. On the YouTube channel, we're breaking records. We're getting views within 24 hours. We're exceeding 100 per day. This is pretty amazing. So continue to watch, continue to download, continue to be a part of the Dr. Bryant community. This is something that I'm doing for all of our military veterans and families. I want to emphasize that. On some of your comments, some of your questions, people are asking, why do I emphasize that? From a personal perspective, families are sacrificing. It's not just the veterans themselves. Families are being left in the rear. You have dependents who are confused and missing mom and dad. They return home and there's still a struggle that happens. You have the reacclimation, you have the adapting, you have so many different challenges. And sometimes you don't even realize what's happening. And that is something that I feel is very important and we have to address. So we're going to continue to bring programs. We're going to continue to bring organizations. We're going to continue to bring experts who have the insight, have the personal experience, and also will have a lot of the resources available. Again, not just for the veterans, but for our families and friends. So on that note, I want to introduce retired Master Sergeant Eduardo, we call him Eddie Ramirez, the founder of One Vet, One Voice. Eddie, say hello to everybody. Hello, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're gonna jump right into this. And I want, Eddie, I want you to take the floor. Tell us about yourself and specifically, tell us about your military background because we want them to know you've been there and done that. So give us a little background of who you are and where you've been. All right. Well, my name is Eduardo Eddie Ramirez. I'm originally from uh, San Francisco, California. Uh, I went to Mission High School uh, back in the day, and then went to San Jose, San Francisco State, and then San Jose State, studying electrical engineering, and uh, worked at NASA Ames Research Center. Oh, yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah, studying electrical engineering. I was in a program called Cooperative Education, where you go to school a semester, and then you work a semester in the career that you want to obtain. Uh, so I lived down in San Jose, little uh, uh, studio apartment working, riding my bicycle from San Jose to, to NASA, uh, taking physics and chemistry and <laughs> calculus. And okay, I, I have to, I have to, I have to ask Eddie, were you like the only Latino doing that, or was there a program specifically for the minorities or what? Because you sound like you're breaking ground back in what the, that time of day. Back in the day. You know, I actually went to school with a couple of Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico that had come up from Puerto Rico, and one of them was living with me. So it was a unique program. Yeah. Um, there were some Latinos in the in the program in the engineering school, but there was not a, a Latino uh, uh, specific program. 
you know, so you're kind of mixed in with everybody else. But the program that was unique was the cooperative education program. Okay. Because that one got you to go to school and to get experience in engineering. And that was unique. I don't even know if they have that program uh, uh, around know, again. I, you know what? I seriously doubt it. There's so many programs that I've heard about, even some that I've been in, like one specifically for me was called Upward Bound when I was down I in was Southern in California. Program. Okay, so but these upward round programs, these things are no longer around. People can't find funding. They when you know when you have these budget cuts, they look at that kind of stuff and they just cut it. Fine arts, music, all of that. So unfortunately, if it's still around, I'll be. I would love to hear about it, but I'm not hearing. So, but yeah, go ahead. For sure, but the upward bound program, I was involved with that where I was going to school uh, at the university during Mm -hmm. the summer. That's right. It was a really good, really good program. That actually. Upward Bound program actually got me to graduate from high school. Mm. I was one of those students that, mm, I was struggling, you know, but I, I did it. I graduated on time and I got into a university. So, I mean, you know, that was pretty heavy duty, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, working at NASA and then I got burned out. I got burned out and uh, I joined the Air Force. And um, I always was into mechanics and stuff, you know, working on my cars. I have a a 67 Camaro that was given to me when I was like 16 years old. Matter of mm. fact, I still have that car. Whoa. It's, sitting in, it's sitting in my garage right now. Nice. Anyway, that's nice. a whole other That's a I whole other I, I, I think we're going to have to talk offline about <laughs> me stopping by. <laughs> you know? Nice. Um, and then they sent me to uh, um, Lackland Air Force Base and uh, basic training there. And then I got a I had a, a six month delay because I was a, a guaranteed job. So I was an aerospace ground equipment mechanic. Uh, okay. I went to Chanute, Chanute Air Force Base in Illinois. And uh, they had the coldest winter in history out there. Wind chilled factors of minus 120 degrees. Whoa. I never heard of wind chill factors wow. until I got there. They had to close down the school several times because it was just too cold to go outside. How much feet of snow? Oh man, it was crazy. How how high was the snow? Um, The snow was pretty high. You know, it came up to like the first story. You had to kind of dig your way out, you know? But um, I did 16 weeks of of training there to work on um, support equipment for aircraft, generators, air conditioning, air compressors, um, diesel engines, you know, so on and so forth. So that when the aircraft comes, and lands, you don't want to run the aircraft engines. So you mm. bring out support equipment and you plug it into the aircraft. Okay. So my job was to maintain all that support equipment. And that took me to Japan and to Tampa, Florida. And then I said to myself, you know, I need to get another job because I was a grease monkey. <laughs> I was working from eight to eight and my hands were always dirty. I was like, oh man, this is too much. And then I cross-trained in, in, into ground radio communications, where I maintained the air traffic control system uh, and worked on UHF, VHF, HF communication satellites and doing all that. And that took me to Travis Air Force Base. It took me to Hesse Jolendorf, Germany. It took me to Saragossa, Spain. It took me to Rimini, Italy. And it took me to McClellan in Sacramento. So hold on, I want to, I want to, for those 
kids out there listening and intrigued by this you hear all these countries he's talking about this is the one of the best things about being in the military you have an opportunity to see the world and so i just want to make a footnote that you know we sometimes we talk about the bad about being in the military and how we're taken from our families and you know the, the the challenges that we experience but this is a great point to acknowledge how sometimes you get a chance to get out there and you get to see countries you didn't even know existed. Right. And that's the dile- that's the pro or the issue that a lot of a lot of people that are in the military face. They don't realize the opportunities that come across to them in the military. You know, I mentioned that I was in Japan, I had I was age mechanic then I cross trained the Air Force has what's called the, the Community College of the Air Force. So as you go through these technical training schools, you're getting college credit. And I ended up getting three degrees, three associate's degrees from the Community College of the Air Force. And then I got my bachelor's degree. And then I got my master's degree all while I was active duty. And this is based on you just training in your own field? Or was training this what in my you own field. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I'm uh, just training. asking you, training in your field that gave you the degrees or was it things you were doing above and beyond your training? Well, <laughs> like I said, the, the training schools are accredited uh, universities. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get that college credit. All you have to do is take a couple additional classes to That's meet it. the general requirements, and that gets you that AA. Wow. But a lot of people don't take advantage of that, you know? Um, so I ended up getting three of those from the Community College of the Air Force. When I was at McClellan, um, you know, McClellan closed down. Right, right. I used to live in Sacramento. Yeah, yeah. So I closed down four bases in a row the one in Germany, the one in Spain the one in Italy and McClellan. And by the time I got to McClellan, I cross-trained again, where <laughs> I was a, a, an ALS instructor or a professional military education instructor. And I ran a university for the Air Force. Oh, impressive. That, that, that taught leadership, uh, the profession of arms and, and uh, communication skills to the up and coming supervisors of the Air Force. In order for them to put on the rank, they had to complete my school. Nice. So I had I had twelve students uh, for twenty eight days, and we taught sixty different lessons, everything from basic grammar to situational leadership. And wow. the curriculum was an accredited curriculum from the Southern Associations of Schools and Colleges, and that curriculum was taught worldwide to all the different ALSs for the Air Force. So other than you being bad luck, because every time you went to a base, you shut it down. <laughs> you actually was providing a lot of opportunity and you made a lot of connections. I mean, that's pretty good. You having the students in your class or future leaders, it's like, okay, I got a buddy here. I got a buddy here. I mean, man, you, I'm surprised you didn't just go all the way up into the officer status. Well, you know, uh, I got, when I was at McClellan, I was going to retire from McClellan and then they said, oh, you're going to get promoted. You're going to get promoted to E7. Yeah, that's one way to keep somebody in. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, owe us, you owe us two years. 
Yeah. If you're gonna get promoted, you're always right. two years. Of course, of course. And, and these are your options. You could go to Georgia, or you could go to Edwards Air Force Base, Mojave Desert. Yeah, that's right. In California. So I said, give me the Mojave Desert. Give me Edwards Air Force Base. Really? You chose that over Georgia. Now, Georgia's humid and all that, but Georgia's got Georgia peaches. You got the Southern women. I, I mean, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you didn't go. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, after moving 14 times in 22 years, mm. You know, I said, you know, I need to stay near home because I left right. my family in Sacramento. Right, and right. I went down to Edwards and I ended up living in a single wide trailer with a swamp cooler in the mm. middle of the Mojave Desert. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I was running the uh, the um, the the base communication shop that had like four different uh, organizations in it. Um, and uh, evaluations came out and, um, you know, I did good, but I replaced another master sergeant. And then, because he went to Australia, but for some reason, he came back. So now we had two master sergeants in the position. I, I would have replaced him in Australia. <laughs> you know, I wanted to, but they wouldn't allow that. Yeah, okay. So he outranked me, so he ended up taking over the shops. And I was like, okay, now what? So they had me do a training manual. They had me stand up this this uh, deployment shop. And I said, you know, I think it's time to go. So I ended up retiring as a master sergeant from Edwards Air Force Base in 2003. And um, I took a couple of years off just to demilitarize. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and that was a mistake. Because after having <clears throat> a level of responsibility up here and you're ramped up to go from that to just nothing and going back home to the environment that you wanted to get away from in San Francisco <clears throat> with your buddies and all that I ended up you know spiraling out of control drugs alcohol and it got to the point where I went to jail a couple times um, and um, it was just not a not a good thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then I said, I, I need to go back to work. And I tried to apply for jobs and nothing. I couldn't I couldn't get a job. So did, we're talking 2003, correct? That was 2003, okay. 2004, 2005, because I retired in 2003. And I, I, I just kind of didn't do much and got in trouble. And, you know, 2005 yeah. came around. So just to give just to give the audience some perspective, especially those who may not have full visibility of the not just the military, but civilian world supporting the military, that timeline of what we're where we are is not as it is today. Veteran affairs and existence was there, obviously, but they didn't have all the resources that they have now, the, uh, the relevant programs that we're seeing that's all over the place wasn't in existence. Uh, we sure as hell did not have the ability to go in the VA and have all of these different doctors and you know psychiatrists. So for somebody like Eddie and myself, because I was along those same timelines, you weren't even aware 
of what you were struggling with. And that's the key that I want to kind of bring out to in the open for people to understand, because I'm sure they're listening to you, Eddie, and they're going, man, that's weird. He gets out of the military, he's a squared away master sergeant, and then suddenly he's having problems. That doesn't make sense. They're not going to comprehend that. But when you don't even realize the there that transition that acclimation into civilian society, the way it impacts the brain, you cannot even understand unless you were a veteran and having to step off that plane, you're now in a world that you are not familiar with and to be able to adapt like we're talking immediate adaptation because literally there's no time, there's no pause. Let me give you a chance to understand that it doesn't happen that way. So I want people to understand and, and really, you know, really process that this is a not easy because you're talking about going from a structured world in the military to an unstructured environment. And that is a very, very difficult thing to adapt to. So. Eddie, from me to you, I understand and I sympathize, and I really want the audience to grasp this, the importance and the reality of what you went through. So there's no, you know, I know for me personally to you, I'm not holding anything against you because I recognize and realize, and we all have those tribulations that we have to deal with. So kudos to you for, obviously there's a there's a happy ending, so we're gonna get to that, but continue on talking about um, what I wanna kinda address is how you ended up going into the minority veteran program coordinator. You end up getting into that role. So give us some insight on how that came to be. 